everyone. I'd like to invite you to listen to a new podcast called Artrageous. It's a podcast about the truly outrageous stories of the art and design world. I'm your host, Carrie, and each week we'll cover stories that are just plain crazy. Join me every Thursday for a new episode with stories from art theft, fraud, crime, and mysteries to designer drama, fun conversation tidbits, and discussions about current events. Find Artrageous wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until then, stay Artrageous. Stove Leg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 125th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast, everyone. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn, coming to you live from my man cave in Millsboro, Delaware. This week, we have Eric Jarinko, General Manager of the Greenville Drive, High A affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. If you like this episode, make sure to go back and listen to the older ones. There's something back there for everyone. So many great, uh, smart-minded people that uh, work in minor league baseball back there. Um, Different experiences, different backgrounds, different teams, um, you name it, it's back there. So go check out the older episodes. If you want a shout-out on the show, it's super easy. Drop a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. That helps drive us up the charts a little bit and turns more people into listeners and members of the TARP crew. Yeah, even if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, still drop a rating uh, and leave a comment if you're able to. I know there's lots of different apps and uh, all kinds of streaming services out there. But yeah, uh, help help out the show and leave a rating and comment if possible. Make sure to go follow the designated Twitter account for the show at PullingTarpPod. That's where you can find all up-to-date news about the Pulling Tart Podcast. That's where you can reach out to become a guest. And um, we don't have any sponsors, but if any businesses are looking for a unique sponsorship opportunity, that's where you can reach out to. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at It's R.A. Coon. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. There is merchandise. You can now get Pulling Tart Podcast stickers, coffee mugs, and wall art. You can find that on the Pulling Tart Podcast Twitter account. There's a link tree in our bio, or you can go to tpublic.com. Guys, I really do apologize for there not being an episode every week lately. Uh, life's been extremely busy. Um you know, the little one will be here in about six weeks, so uh, just gearing up for that. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for for being patient. Still trying to get out this uh, this content, this behind the scenes content for you guys. With all of that being said, let's chat with Eric Jarinko. I'd like to invite you to listen to a new podcast called Artrageous. It's a podcast about the truly outrageous stories of the art and design world. 
I'm your host, Carrie, and each week we'll cover stories that are just plain crazy. Join me every Thursday for a new episode with stories from art theft, fraud, crime, and mysteries to designer drama, fun conversation tidbits, and discussions about current events. Find Artrageous wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until then, stay Artrageous. Eric, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. Super excited to have you on, man. How's your off-season been so far? Well, first off, Bobby, thanks for having me on. Um, I know you've had a couple of our other staff members on, so I'm glad to be the fourth choice from our staff to participate <laughs> on, the, uh, on, the, on the podcast. But no, it's been a, it's been a busy off-season, to be honest with you. It's been great, but it's been busy um, like any off-season. I mean, I think like every minor league baseball team, we... We utilize our ballpark for more than just the baseball games during mm-hmm. the season. We've been slammed full with events from Halloween to Christmas events and things like that. And then at the same time, trying to bring the ballpark up to the new MLB facility standards. And our we've kind of done it. We're, do, we're approaching it in a couple phases with phase one being this, this off season where we are um, coming to the conclusion of all of the upgrades to the locker room area and then wall padding. Um, okay. But that uh, clubhouse expansion project is going to total about six and a half million dollars. Wow! And we're in a, we're in a unique position where we are a privately owned ballpark, so not a city owned ballpark. Okay. So anytime we do any upgrades to the ballpark or anything, that's got to come from our ownership group. So mm. um, it's great to have their backing and everything. But it's been a it's been a, a fun project to work on, but some tight timelines too because we actually had college games starting here at the end of February. We don't host one college in particular, um, but we have about 35 high school and college games between the month of months of uh, March and April. And our biggest game happens to be our first game of the year. We have the neutral site game between Clemson University and the University of South Carolina. That's about 7,500 people. So yeah. that's truly on our opening day. It's March 4th. That's awesome. Man, yeah, it seems like... You guys got a lot going on there, um, and so you were sharing some of the um, the new things that are coming to the stadium this year. Anything else that that's coming to Floor Field, whether that's you know new promotions or or anything else from the fan side of things? Yeah, it's interesting. Spending six and a half million dollars this off season, and it's really not anything towards fan amenities. I sure. guess the good news is based on where the footprint is for our locker room we kind of have our 500 club above the locker room existing and that's kind of our beer garden picnic area so as part of the clubhouse expansion that footprint grows a little bit to accommodate more people for picnics and things like that which is really nice and that that whole area is getting revamped we haven't really done food service in that area in our first 17 years it's strictly been kind of a beer garden but as part of that improvement we're getting 2,000 square foot kitchen that I know our executive chef and food and beverage director are really excited about. So some new food offerings coming with that, some higher end food offerings other than just your typical concessions. Um, And then, as I mentioned, we own the ballpark. We made an investment coming out of the COVID season in 2021 where there's an office building in left field uh, just beyond our Green Monster. We actually bought that building um, after the 2021 season. 
So we own it. There's, it's the commercial side of it. So our offices are in that building. There's three restaurants in that building. Wow. There's two other um, uh, companies that lease floors from us as well. But we've spent a good portion of this off season as well, completely revamping one of the restaurants. Right before we bought the building, one of the previous tenants moved out, and that gave us a new opportunity to partner with a more local restaurateur and really bring that restaurant into the ballpark experience as well. So that that restaurant is expected to open early March as well. Okay. Um, so that's really been from a from a executive team perspective. That's really been our focus is really both corners of the ballpark this offseason, along with the the clubhouse expansion and this new restaurant coming online. Wow. Yeah, you guys do got a lot of stuff going on. Um sounds so awesome and and um to be honest like timmy's sent me like pictures and videos of the beer garden and that seems like something i gotta get down there to see at a game sometime yeah and it's an interesting because i mean again a ballpark is an exact replica of fenway yeah and all the dimensions are the same but what's unique is you kind of look at the ballpark from the building that we now own kind of gives you that Camden Yards feel because there's this nice brick building that spans the whole left field to center field. And then when we moved our offices into the building in 2017, we also took over the rooftop and made that a unique hospitality area as well. So you kind of get Fenway Park replica, warehouse, a Camden Yards rooftop experience, a Wrigley Field. And then heading into last season, we also took the street that runs adjacent to the first base side of the ballpark and made that a really nice, spent out $4 million there in renovating that street and making that an exterior event space of the ballpark. We call it District 356. 356 was Shoeless Joe Jackson's lifetime batting average. Okay. He's a Greenville uh, native, yeah. so it's kind of odd to him. But it kind of gives us the main Jersey Street slash Yawkey Way of Fenway Park feel outside of the ballpark as well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've never I've never been to Fenway Park, but Camden Yards is is right up there as far as the major league stadiums I've been in, um, and it's the one that I frequent most often now, um, living in in Delaware close to the Maryland state line. Um, so so yeah, definitely got to get down there and uh, and visit some mutual friends of ours, obviously. Um, but you know, while we're talking about the renovations and stuff like that, I know that you set out when you became general manager that you wanted to oversee a new ballpark, you know, mm-hmm. the construction of a new ballpark. And then you guys went all in on big stadium renovations in 2017, um, which was almost like, you know, constructing a new ballpark from what it sounds like. Um, and we were talking about, you know, super cool that, same dimensions at Fenway Park. You guys even have your own green monster, which is incredible. But what was it like overseeing such a drastic stadium renovation in 2017? That was that was almost like overseeing a new ballpark construction. Yeah. So I mean, I've been with the I've been with the drive now 17 years since its existence. And when I started out, I was the media relations director. The ballpark was almost complete. Um, didn't really get involved at all wasn't involved at all in the construction of the stadium and i knew at some point my goal was to become a general manager within minor league baseball it's just i've been blessed enough to have a career here for spending heading into year 18 in greenville now and i look back and 
prior to 17, I was always kind of like, man, the one experience I never had was really being on that brand level of building brand new ballpark. And then we set out on $15 million in upgrades to the stadium. Again, tight timeline because of college games that we host yeah. here at the ballpark. We broke ground the day after the season ended in 2016 and had to be ready by March 1st for Clemson versus South Carolina that year as well. So it's like a six-month timeline or five-month timeline to get all that done. Mm-hmm. And you get into the minutia of that. And again, it's kind of like building a brand-new ballpark. The, the focus of those projects was we wanted to make the ballpark more event-friendly during the off-season or when the team's on the road. We had Previously, we had no interior space in the ballpark or the high offices that could accommodate more than 48 people for an event. Okay. Um, we just didn't have spaces like that. So if you look at it, our, our my joke with our owner is, if you look at it as a straight ROI on the number of seats we added, probably the worst investment you'd ever see. You spent $15 million and we added 150 physical seats to the baseball side of things. But when you look at it as how it made, again, made the ballpark more event friendly to have high school proms, wedding receptions, wedding Mm -hmm. rehearsals, beer fests, wine festivals, Christmas parties, you know, it, it, it transformed how our business runs now. Cause honestly, yes, our quarter, at the end of the day, is Greenville Drive Baseball. We know every year we're going to have 66 drive games, but that leaves us 290 days to do other things. Right, yeah. Um, so what we've kind of honed in on with our staff or feeding our staff is it's not drive baseball versus non-baseball events. It's we all work at Floor Field, which is the venue, and we host – 400 events a year. Right. A hundred of them just happen to have a baseball game tied to them. <laughs> and the other 300 are your corporate events or sure. your wedding rehearsals and things like that. And it's taken some time, but our staff has really bought into that of, yes, we're a baseball stadium, but at the end of the day, we're, event, we're an event venue because we can't control what players we get from the Red Sox. We can't control how good the team is. To be honest with you, this past season, the 2022 season, is going to go down as our best season ever from a financial perspective, from an average fans per game perspective. But the team finished like 70 games under 500. It's going to go down. It's the worst record we've ever had. Yeah. But from a business standpoint, it's the best we've ever had. So it's That's great. We, can, we control what we can control. Sure. And the baseball side, we can't control. We do, but again, the relationship we have with the Red Sox is unbelievable. I mean, clearly, buying us in that branding aspect is stuck in the moment. Yeah, yeah, clear, clearly, obviously. Um, yeah. So to circle back a little bit though on the on the re- on the renovation, I've always said, I mean, the one thing I missed out on was helping br- build a brand new ballpark, and then we got through all those renovations, and it was kind of like. All right, I'm good. <laughs> we, we did that. That was enough. <laughs> right. Because you learn so many different things from building codes and ADA restrictions, and it's like mind boggling what needs to go into a construction project. Yeah, yeah, it seems like it. Jeez. Um, so, most of my career was media relations, marketing, graphic design, sales, obviously. Um, but so, I'm interested to hear how you started as director of media relations for the drive in 2005 and you've worked your way all the way up to general manager. I mean, 
I wanted to be an assistant general manager or general manager. I just, maybe I wasn't in the right organizations or the right ownership groups or, or what have you. I just want to hear how you, how you moved your way up like that. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone, when they start in this business is always intrigued by, Oh, I'm working in baseball. Sure. So, I mean, like I started out in media relations and I didn't initially set out thinking my goal was to be a minor league general manager. To be honest, my end game was I was thinking I'll, I'll be with the general for three or four seasons and I'm going to move on. My goal at that time was, okay, I'm going to go back to Clemson and work in the SID department. Okay. Um, or I'm going to move back to Philadelphia and work for the Eagles, Sixers, or Phillies in their media relations department. And as I took on more and more responsibility, because, you know, have, as you've experienced the media relations side, obviously – you know, we're full throttle during the season like everybody, mm-hmm. but it's late nights with game stories and game notes. But then you kind of hit the off season and yeah, you're still doing website stuff. You're still doing some press releases time to time, but you kind of have a lot of downtime. So it was at that point seeking out, okay, where else can I get involved in the organization to understand what all goes into the business side of things? So I was doing a lot of, I started self-taught, Adobe Photoshop and was helping all of their departments with graphics and started getting intrigued by the financial numbers and how do we, how do we set per caps and how do we set target turn style and stuff like that. And kind of just natural, natural curiosity led me to taking on different responsibilities within the organization. Mm-hmm. And then I, I kind of, I started with the organization in November of 05, our first general manager started with the organization in, January of 06 and he announced heading into our 2013 season that he was kind of taking a step back from professional sports. He had five kids and was looking for a little bit of the normalcy. Sure. And at that point I was named assistant general manager. Wasn't really sure if our ownership, our owner was going to naturally say, okay, one year as assistant GM promote me to GM heading into 14 or bring somebody else in with more experience because at that time I was still relatively young. I was 30, I guess. Um, And we started having conversations of, I know there's going to be a learning curve. I know there's still a lot I need to learn, but I think I had enough people in my corner that were saying, you know, it, including Eric Cooper, our lead president kind of said, Eric's going to be a GM at some point. Do you want to risk hiring somebody else and losing him to another organization, or do you take some lumps early days with him as GM? Okay. Credit to our owner, that's the direction he went in. And, and again, he and I have been together now since 2006, and we've always worked well together. Um, and and again, I think I've just been I've been fortunate enough to be able to stay in the same with the yeah, same organization. That's a rarity. I think there's a whole lot of people that can say that's a possibility, even. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, my, my parents were public school teachers for 35 years in the same school district, basically the same school for 35 years. So there's a natural, um, to me, kind of just being loyal to yeah. the organization that you've come up with and cut your teeth with. And I've loved it here. I mean, I, I get the question of, well, the players want to move up to AA and AAA. Don't you want to move up to AA and AAA? Right. And it's, it's kind of different because to me, while the drive is a – technically a single A baseball team. If you look at being privately owned, owning the ballpark, all of the things we do inside the ballpark, the things our ownership group allows me to do 
the relationship, the partnership we have with the city, other business leaders in the community. I would say we're a single A team in terms of the baseball product, but in terms of our how go to market strategy, our ballpark, I would put us up against any triple A and major league club and how we approach things. Absolutely. And when you factor in the ballpark in downtown Greenville and what downtown Greenville has become, it's unbelievable. Um, it's to me, it's second to none. And I know I'm a little biased <laughs> on terms of everything that this community has to offer. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Timmy and I worked together in, uh, in Beloit and there, there was a season where with, without the titles, him and I were essentially assistant general managers together. And boy, that was when you have a rundown ballpark and uh, just you had three people on staff and just trying to get through the season was was just challenging. Um, but I, I we I, I think collectively we learned a lot of things yeah. uh, about you know ourselves and and how we we cope with things being thrown at us from all different angles um but so i i think we're both you know better workers and and uh, better people for that oh for I, sure. I mean i go back I, I, every off season i help out one or two clemson classes at clemson okay and usually one class is kind of freshmen and sophomores the other class is kind of seniors who are about to graduate who are all interested in the sports industry. And the first question you kind of always get is, or when you're talking to those students is they're like, Oh, I want to work in the NFL. I want to work in major league baseball. I want to work in the NBA. That's great. I'm telling you though, you want to get your experience in minor league baseball, Mm -hmm. whether that's even just an internship or as a full-time employee, because you're going to get pulled into every facet of the operation and the organization. If you go directly to an internship, with the Atlanta Braves or the Carolina Panthers, you're going to get in marketing and you're never going to see how any other, right. any other equipment operates. Like, yeah. Well, I still, from time to time, will get in the mascot suit if I have to. Oh, all right. If we absolutely have, I mean, rolling hot though. I mean, yeah. there's no, throw our, in major, in minor league baseball, I mean, our titles come in more during the planning season, but sure. once it's game time, it's throw all that out the window and it's all hands on deck depending on what the situation is yeah absolutely absolutely yeah i i definitely think you know it's helped me out because i i work i'm out of baseball now i've been out of baseball for over three years now and um i'm at an insurance agency and and to be honest with you i i really do think i am a better co-worker and employee and everything because of my experiences in minor league baseball and oh, it, everything everything i've experienced there so what has been the proudest moment of your career so far? I I think there's two, to okay. be honest, and they're totally team-related. It's 2017 season, getting through all those renovations, and kind of that year was unbelievable. I mean, we opened up virtually a brand-new ballpark with those renovations. It's our only time we won a league championship, so that was kind of cool to go through that after having done all these enhancements to the ballpark. And then we were we hosted the the promo seminar that year, the highly right. based promo seminar. So it was cool to have the industry come to Greenville and experience what we've already known of how great a town this is. Um, and then the winter meetings, we were named the Johnson Award recipient, wow. the President's Award recipient. So 
that was just an unbelievable culmination of a of a great year from kicking off with you know some awesome enhancements to the ballpark to a great performance from the team to having a great financial year great attendance year having the promo seminar and then ending with being named the top organization in minor league baseball that's number one i think number two is and it's right up there with number one is is honestly the COVID year of 2020. Yeah, I know that sounds crazy to say that's one of my proudest moments, but to get through that year as a front office staff, I know everyone went through some tough times. Again, credit to our ownership group. We ended up furloughing half our staff, but we waited till the very, we waited till basically it was officially official that there was no minor league season. Yeah. We finally furloughed our first staff in July of that year. And we worked through some opportunities that they could still work within the legal federal amount of time they could be at the ballpark working, mm-hmm. but still get the mo- the maximized federal government benefits. And we put wow. some incentives in there so that they, when we brought people back in a full-time capacity in February, they hadn't looked for a full-time job. They hadn't gone elsewhere. Wow. And ultimately, we're a staff of 30 uh, full-time employees. We ended up furloughing 15, okay. and we brought in 13 of the 15. Wow. Only Kudos to you guys. Another job. And that was crucial in getting our feet, because those were 15 people we didn't have to retrain. Sure. And getting up to full staff levels. And again, by having high school and college games in February and March, we were able to bring those folks back earlier. Mm-hmm. Then if we had just had the drive season starting right. in April. Um, and again, we were able to, once we got through all the emotion of not having a drive season in 20, we pivoted and said, you know what? We've always prided ourselves on being a part of the fabric of this community. We may not have a baseball season, but how can we use the ballpark as food bank pickup locations so people can Mm. social distance? How can we host blood drives? How can we work with doctors to have the ballpark as PPE uh, equipment pickup sites? How can we, since it's an, basically we marketed the ballpark all of 2020 as Greenville's best social distancing venue. Yeah. We've got all this outdoor space. So it was, how can we, how can we still be a part of the fabric of the community, even though none of this is going to generate any revenue for us? Mm-hmm. When things return back to normal, the community will say, well, hell, the drive didn't have a season last year, and they still did all this. Right. Now we need to support them because they're back open with baseball. Yeah, And that was huge. That, I, it, you, gotta, you can't just walk or talk the talk. You've got to be able to walk Absolutely. the walk. And it's easy to walk the walk when times are good. Yep. But do you truly walk the walk when times are bad? And that's where we could have said, you know what? We're shutting up. We're shutting down the ballpark till next baseball season. Everyone do whatever. And it was, no, let's double down on that commitment to the community. So we did that. It led us to a great 21 season, a great, an even better 2022 season. But coming out of 2020, we were also named one of, we were named the single A Freedus Award winner. Yeah. Baseball America, and for for us to be named to receive an award like that in a year where you didn't have baseball, yeah, is bigger than earning it or being named it when you do have baseball. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, my agency, we were very involved in the community and stuff like that, but um, there's just something about minor league baseball. You have more of a community footprint, and, you know, you guys helping out the community is, is what it's all about, really, and I think that that goes a long way with your fans as well. Absolutely, because I think the one thing that COVID also taught us is that, again, we're a part of this community, but we need the community more than they need us, if you will. Like, we need them for, I mean, because again, Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, they all proved they could have a season without fans Mm -hmm. because they still get TV rights. They still get national sponsorship dollars. We need butts and seats. Mm -hmm. And we all go away if we can't have fans here. And we needed those fans, so... Yeah. Again, yeah, it's it's it. You've got to be a part of your community to to, to get that support. Absolutely, couldn't agree with you more. What is the weirdest thing that you've had to deal with during a game that's come up? Yeah, this is this is really unique because it it was during our twenty seventeen season, and we were about this close in game of our head groundskeeper getting ejected. Oh, okay. And wow. So Greg, Greg Burgess is our head groundskeeper, our VP of operations and grounds. He and I have virtually been here together since the very beginning. He was the grounds assistant in 2006. He left. He so he basically an intern in 2006 on the grounds crew. Okay. And was the assistant groundskeeper in Charlotte in 07, and then came back in 08 as our head groundskeeper. All right. And our head groundskeeper ever since and he has won every single award you can imagine for groundskeepers he just was named south atlantic league groundskeeper of the year for the sixth time um he heads up so much with stma i mean he he is irreplaceable on our staff like i've told our owner if greg ever leaves i'm right behind him because i don't want to try to replace him wow okay it's like the coach after Bear Bryant. Like, no one remembers who was after Bear Bryant. Yeah. And so Greg is unbelievable at what he does. And he also, what makes him so special, too, is he also understands how we need to utilize the ballpark for more than just baseball mm-hmm. games. So during, he and I have a very good rapport with one another, especially when it comes to game days and things like that. He, if there's any weather threats, he and I are talking throughout the day. If it's pregame, I'm talking directly with him, and then I'm relaying to the umpires and the coaching staffs. Once we get in-game, he's communicating. If there's weather coming in-game, he is in between and he's talking to the coaches, to the umpires. Well, we had an umpiring crew that was relatively young, and he there's a, there's a nasty storm coming. Mm-hmm. And he's showing them the radar, and he says, I've got entire staff at the tarp. We're ready to go. I'm telling you, like, this isn't one we can fool around with. Once it starts raining, we need to go. Like, it's going to come quick. It's going to come heavy. It's going to come with a lot of wind. Mm -hmm. So he's like, look for me. This is where I'm going to be standing. When I start waving my hat, that means we need to go. Like, I need you guys to do this and get everyone off the field. Like, Okay, we got it. Well, we're up to bat. The drive's up to bat. And rain starts coming but it's light like that's what he told him it was going to be light but it's going to be like a minute of light and then downpour okay 
So here comes the light, and he's sitting there waving his hat like, we need to go. And they're waving him off, like, nope, not wow. heavy enough, blah, blah, blah. Okay. It starts pouring, and they still had the game going. Like, we're playing through a monsoon. Oh, and he he literally, our, our manager's coach in third base, and Greg is literally halfway in between the third base coach's box and home plate just screaming at the umpires <laughs> as pitches are being thrown of like, we need to go. Like, and he's, there's lots of F-bombs. Sure, sure. Because he's doing this. And our manager finally looks at us and he's just like, I don't know what these guys are doing. I'm getting out of the way of this next pitch. You guys just go. Just pull the tarp. Yeah. So sure enough, that's what we do. We get and we barely get this thing on. I have no idea how we got it on. We get it on, and the way our field sets up is there's not a tunnel to the locker rooms. Like the only way to get okay. to the locker, like, there's not a tunnel from the dugouts. Oh, okay. You've got to walk across the field. So when it pours like that, the umpires now everyone waits it out in the dugouts. Umpires going to the home dugout. We get this tarp on, <laughs> and Greg goes straight into the into the dugout and just goes Rips yeah. on the on these guys. <laughs> and I mean it's if it's a manager saying these things to an umpire, they're gone. They're tossed. Sure. And I mean they're like, well we didn't think it was like we worked in the Arizona League last year, so we never saw rain and he's like, that's why I That's why we had the conversation. Yeah. The heads up and that's what we need to do. And like we finally had to get players and coaches to somewhat restrain him. <laughs> Because it was that bad. I was like, I've never seen an umpire. Like, the closest thing I've seen is, was it Dayton when their uh, music guy got ejected for playing yeah. Brady Blind Mice? Yeah. I was like, this is the next iteration of that. We're about to see a groundskeeper get ejected. <laughs> that would that would have been something to see. That's for sure. <laughs> but it was literally downpouring in between pitches, and he is on the foul, foul line screaming at these guys. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. So, <laughs> speaking of weather, your uh, your Twitter bio says that you're an amateur meteorologist. Were were you an amateur meteorologist before you became a GM, or does no. that go hand in hand? No, I think that comes hand in hand with okay. this with this job. Is that you know all of a sudden, in addition to getting tickets sold and people in the ballpark and making sure food and beverage is right and all your game entertainment's right. All of a sudden it's up to the GM and the groundskeeper to keep the coaches, the managers, the umpires up, up to date on what the radar looks like. And ultimately pregame, it's our call of, you know, do we, do we start the game on time or do we, do we delay it? Because, you know, mm-hmm. In the minors, of you know, you don't want to get a starting pitcher hot because it's all about development. You don't want to get a starting pitcher hot, and he only goes one inning before a rain delay. Like, right. they, and the good news again is, you know, we've had we're going into our fifth season with the same manager. There's always been a lot of consistency with our coaching staff. Of usually the manager here two or three years. Our our manager now this he's entering year five with us. Oh. Our pitching coach has been here for seven or eight years. He's been in the Red Sox organization for 30 years. Wow. Uh, he actually lives in Greenville, so that's kind of why okay, he's our yeah. pitching coach every year now because he's kind of that, towards the back half of his career. Sure. And he's kind of said, you know what, if I'm not going to be on the major league club, just let me be at home. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have a good relationship, and I'm, we're constantly communicating with them. But, it, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you kind of get sometimes get the questions of, 
we use an app or a service that we pay for that is much more reliable than weather.com. And you kind of start talking to coaches and they're like, well, I was looking at weather.com and it's showing a completely different weather pattern. And I'm always like, just delete weather.com off of your computer yeah. completely. It's the most unreliable thing to look at. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, sometimes you're kind of like, crap, it's a 50-50 chance of if that rain cloud's going to move west by a mile and hit us. But I'm looking at this radar and the way the wind's going, it looks like it shouldn't hit us. I mean, yeah. there's been times where, yeah, we've made a call that's been wrong. I think we I think we're probably batting 800, though, to be honest with wow. you. Wow, okay. In terms of looking at the weather pattern, we've made, I swear at times, too, and the players joke about it, that there's a there's a invisible dome around our ballpark. Yeah. I, we've literally seen rain patterns on the radar heading directly at us, and it literally gets to the ballpark, breaks up, and forms again on the other side of the ballpark. Those are times where we've actually delayed the start because I'm like, yeah, that thing's going to hit us, and somehow it doesn't. Okay. But, we, and again, Greg is so good at what he does. Our field drains so well that our players know, like, if we get a window, we're playing. Yeah. And we'll never start a game after 9 o'clock. Yeah. But, so, I mean, if we if we can start before 8, 8.30, we're going to go. Absolutely. And again, our field was initially designed by the playing surface, was designed by Roger Bossard, who used to be the Chicago White Sox head groundskeeper, and he had designed a lot of the major league playing surfaces. And I remember back in 2006 when he was laying the sod after they put down all the drainage, and it was, if this drainage system fails, you don't have, it's not because the system is defective. We, you guys need to be building an arc. That's how much rain uh-huh. you're getting. Wow. Okay. So it's it's an unbelievable uh, system we've got here at the ballpark. I mean, we can literally get two inches of rain, pull the tarp, and the tarps, the field's playing well in 45 minutes. Dang. That is impressive for sure. At True Crime Cast, we cover the big names and cases that everybody wants to hear, but we specialize in the small town unknown cases you've never heard of. If you're listening to True Crime Cast, you'll hear us give the details of each case and our analysis of whether or not justice is served. Find us wherever you find your favorite podcast. Y'all should go ahead and subscribe and join in on the conversation. I'm Jamie. And I'm John. This is True Crime Cast. So I can imagine that you have some pretty funny stories uh, working with my very good friend, Timmy Hines. Um, like I said, we we work together in Beloit, and when there's only four people in the front office, you're, you're pretty much family at that point. Um, and um, Timmy is one of the funniest people I know, um, but also one of the hardest working um it's incredible how hard he works uh so can you share a a story or two from from working with him and hiring him in greenville so i mean he's been great he's um probably the i think he's the third facilities director we've had since i took over as gm and 
now has now been here I think four years, um, going on year five. And it's just been unbelievable. Like you said, I mean, very hard work ethic. Mm-hmm. And I understand the, I mean, having worked in Deloitte and things like that in Birmingham, kind of understanding the, you know, all in aspect of working in minor league baseball and things like that. Um, so but the, the one story that really sticks out in my mind is actually this past off season. I think it was, I think it was September, October time frame. The season may not have been over yet. I think it was. But I get a text from him saying, hey, you may want to go look at this one um, security camera, in particular, in the ballpark. And I'm like, oh, boy, what happened? And he's like, just go just go watch it. Watch it from this time to this time. I think it happened during this time frame. Just go watch. Sure enough, he's trying, I think it was September, October. We were getting ready for, there was a, chance of a hurricane coming off the coast the wind it could have shifted and we were going to get some heavy wind so i kind of said to everyone like let's batten down the hatches we've got some like f and b and merchandise portable stations around the ballpark let's get everything kind of tied down and stuff mm-hmm. like that so he was going around doing that and one of the merch kiosks is on wheels and he was trying to tie it down at the top so he took like a stool from our beer garden, to, instead of getting a ladder, he took a stool to stand on it to kind of get to the top of this, and the stool collapsed, and he just falls in between it, like back first. <laughs> so I watch it, and at first I'm like, "Oh my!" I was like, "Are you okay?" And he's like, "Yeah, my back's a little sore, but like I'm good." So then, once I knew it was fine, like I just started. I was like, "This is one of the funniest things I've ever seen." Just like. One that you you thought like instead of going to grab a ladder like this stool is going to suffice when you're trying to get up high or something, and then it collapses. And I'm a big social media guy, but I'm not a TikTok guy at all. Like, yeah, I only use TikTok to follow the drive account. Yeah, this is my one and only TikTok post. Is I downloaded that footage and used that sound bite that was super popular about, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, no, of Timmy falling <laughs> in his head. So that, that's my one one good Timmy story. Another one is, um, you know, with some of our higher-end events or some of our, like, larger events in the off-season, we have an event staff that doesn't work baseball games. They kind of oversee our non-baseball events. But there's a handful of events where it literally – is all hands on deck than everyone yeah. in the front office. Mm-hmm. And one of them is this event we do at Christmas time. But we were getting we were getting folks signed up for, for different aspects of a three day Christmas event. And Timmy's like one of the first ones to jump in and sign up for the bartending gig for the VIP event Friday night. All right. Well, Timmy, like this is a VIP crowd. They're gonna be drinking martinis and a lot of mixed oh, okay. drinks. Yeah. Maybe he knows how to pour a brush light and make pickleback shots. Like, that's it. Yeah. So, like, are you sure this is the thing you want to sign up for? And he signed up with our VP of ticket sales, who was a bartender at one point. Oh, okay. Pitching up with him the next day, and I was like, Phil, how'd that go with Timmy? And he's like, yeah, I ended up making all the mixed drinks up. And like, cause like, one guy asked Timmy for a rum and coke, and he poured him a crown on the rocks. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was a disaster. I don't like a disaster, but it was funny to be like, Timmy, I play softball with you, and all you bring is bush light and natty light, and then you'll ask people if they want pickleback shots. I don't, I don't know if you should be bartending the VIP <laughs> function this Christmas event. 
And then the other one is every time we have a tarp pull, Timmy's like one of the first guys down there to help with tarp pull, which no is doubt. awesome. But he has, <laughs> he wears rain boots that would only be, like, they would still be effective if we got three feet of rain. Like, he goes all out with his, like, attire yep. for, for uh, tarp pull. So that's always a good laugh when you see him coming across the field in these rain boots that are like, they may be a little excessive for a, for a regular tarp pull. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he he's... He listens to this. Oh, gosh. Yeah, he's... He's one of one of my very good friends. He was a groomsman in my wedding. Um, I yeah, like I said, I talk to him almost every day in one one shape or form. Um, but yeah, his his work ethic is is unmatched for sure. And um, I'm gl- glad that you found a great home with you guys in Greenville. Yeah, uh, one other good story about him is we had <laughs> we had some break ins to the ballpark during the off season back in October. And some merchandise was stolen, some stuff like that. And we got the police involved and stuff like that. And I get a text. It's me, Timmy, and Greg. I get a, we get a text from Timmy one night. It's like 1130 at night. He's like, hey, the sensors just tripped. I think those guys may be back trying to see if they can steal more stuff in the ballpark. I'm driving in right now, and I'm going to track them down, walking around the ballpark with a baseball gun. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I mean, you got a family. Like, let the cops handle this. Sounds like <laughs> something he would do, though. Well, you need to go into the ballpark and try to be to confront these guys. Let's let let let's let the police handle this. <laughs> oh man! So we've touched on a few different uh, tarp stories of yours. Are there any other like crazy or wild ones that come to mind? There. There isn't. I mean, the one, the one that I remember most vividly isn't even a drive game. It was, um, it was early March. I forget what year. It must. It was probably around 2011, 2012. And we always, I was a big Michigan State alum, so the Michigan State baseball team comes down okay. every year for a week in March, and they usually play Clemson or South Carolina during a midweek game here. And then they will put together kind of a, a round-robin tournament. And it, it, it had always been Michigan State and then Furman as the local team. Okay. And then Michigan State would find two other teams to participate. And it was, this year it was Miami of Ohio. So it was Michigan State, Miami of Ohio, Northwestern, and Furman. So you kind of had three Northeast, Midwest teams, and then a team from Greenville. Okay. This is early March where Greenville is so bipolar with its weather in February, March, and April. Like, you can have 70 degrees one day, and then you can have snow flurries three days right. later. It's ridiculous. Well, this happened to be one of those instances where it starts snowing during these college games. Okay. And we end up getting, like, an inch and a half of snow. Wow. And But then, like, an hour later, it's back up to 55 degrees and melting. But we put the tarp down. We throw the tarp down, and it finally stops snowing. There's an inch and a half of snow. Greg, myself, we're all talking to the umpires and coaches. Like, we've never had, had this happen before. Like, what the heck do we do? Because you can't just pull a tarp like rain when it's an inch and a half of snow. So we True. end up getting... All of a sudden, we start shoveling the snow off the tarp into the back of 
golf carts and gators and stuff like that to right. tow the snow off site or behind the wall and dump it. Well, there's probably 10 of us from the front office doing that. Next thing we know, I turn around and kids from Miami of Ohio, Michigan State, and Northwestern, they're grabbing shovels. They're helping us. Meanwhile, the kids from Furman go back into the locker room because they didn't do cold weather at all because they never experienced it being here in South Carolina. Yeah. So it was the three, the three Northeast Midwest teams helping us shovel snow while the one team from Greenville who plays at this ballpark a lot is all trying to stay warm. But having a snow delay with the tarp was definitely a, a crazy thing to go through. Wow. We had, um, so in Wisconsin in April, it can definitely snow. And um, snow was coming down sideways one time. And I'm in the press box. I was the PA announcer for every single game. And um, I there's nobody in the stands. You know, I could count them all on my fingers. And um, so I could hear everything that was going on on the field. And the catcher says to the umpire, we're, meanwhile, we're wearing our white jerseys. And um, the catcher says to the umpire, how much longer are we going to do this for? And the umpire says, what do you mean? And he said, the catcher says, I can't see the ball coming at my face. Like, I don't know how I'm going to stop this because I, I can't see it. And, and um, you know, the umpire just shrugs it off. And there was something like seven errors that inning. And um, needless to say, they, they made it an official game and, and we didn't even even end up putting the tarp on because it melted, you know, the next morning. Um, but all of the Latin American guys and we had a guy from Hawaii, too. They all went out there and made snow angels because they'd never seen snow before. Oh, yeah. It was something really awesome to watch. <laughs> yeah. And then my other crazy tarp story is honestly from I interned with the Bowie Bay Sox in 2004. So that was heading into my final semester at Clemson. I hadn't had an internship yet anywhere. So I ended up interning in Bowie, which is the Orioles double A affiliate. Mm-hmm. And we're, and this was like at a time where interns were allowed to pull tarp. Like I, we don't allow our, in Greenville, we don't allow our oh, interns really? to pull anymore. Okay. Just because we have enough on full on front office staff. Plus, it's a liability, things like that. But, sure. I mean, you go back 18 years, it was all hands on deck for tarp pools. And I remember this. It was it, the way it, when we got to the the handles, it was, it was one of the interns. It was one of the older front office staff members. And then it was me. And that older front office staff member wasn't necessarily a favorite amongst both the interns and the other. Okay. Run off the staff members. Yeah. So, so we start pulling the tarp, and we see he's like struggling, and we see he's about to slip, and he flat out falls and goes under the tarp. Like, do we yell out to tell people to stop, or do we keep going? And we're like, that keep might going. get into it. Let's just keep going. Yeah. So we get the tarp on, and Matt Parrott, who's now the head groundskeeper in Charlotte, oh, okay. was the head, was the head groundskeeper in Bowie at the time. And he, he he starts looking around. He's like, "Where, where's so and so?" Like he was on one of the loops. Where he, where is he? Yeah. And we we're like, uh, "Yeah, he fell into the tarp like around the pitcher's mouth." Oh. So, <laughs> so he's got to crawl so out. Trying to get a good laugh about it, and then the next thing you know, we're kind of like trying to fan the tarp to create to get a bubble to go up. 
and I can vividly remember Matt like yelling under the tarp to that staff member, like, "Follow my voice to freedom. Just keep following my <laughs> voice. That's how you're gonna get out of here." Oh man, that's funny. It's it's never fun when you lose somebody under the tarp, but. It is funny after after the fact. We, Absolutely, we lost one of our current front office members, a younger guy. He fell under the tarp during a college game, and it was a college game that was being broadcast on TV. <laughs> and one of the sideline reporters, after we after the tarp pull, and he gets out from under. They get him for an on camera live interview. Wow! And he was like super. Like he hasn't pulled tarp since. Like, he has a PTSD from falling under that thing and immediately being interviewed on my television about falling under the tarp. Yikes. Yeah, that's that's super embarrassing for sure. Oh, man. All right, so we did have one listener question. Um, Mike Sellers, he's at Puck32Ellers on Twitter. Um, He's been a guest on the show, and um, he's a you know, avid listener of the show and he travels a, a lot to other minor league stadiums. And he said that he's uh, looking to visit floor field this year. What are things I need to make sure and do while I'm there? Um, features to see concessions to try things to do in town, etc. Yeah. And I saw, I saw his question on Twitter and I saw someone answer it. It was like the, the, person that answered on Twitter was like the perfect answer. It talked about the pimento cheeseburger, yep. going up, you know, making sure you get on the Butter Green Monster, mm-hmm. making sure you go to the Shoeless Joe Museum, which is right across the street from the ballpark. I mean, those are three perfect things. But the other thing I would add on that is our ice cream stand is unbelievable. Sweet Caroline. So obviously Ooh. named after the Neil Diamond song yeah. that we like Fenway. We play in the eighth inning as well. Okay. So that's our ice cream stand. It's unbelievable. It's it's not soft serve. We have soft serve ice cream in the ballpark, but that stand is hand scooped ice cream. It's homemade. The waffle cones and waffle bowls are freshly made every day. So as you walk by that stand, you smell all that. Wow! It's hands down our most popular concession stand. It's unbelievable. Um, and then I would, I mean, on top of that too, I would just experience as much of downtown Greenville as you can because you can walk from one end of Main Street to the ballpark. It's a mile and a half. We have Falls Park, which is a is an actual waterfall in the middle of our main street. Oh. That is a suspension bridge, a walking sus- suspension bridge that goes over it. A uh, lot of a un- lot of really nice restaurants and bars. Lots of things to do. I mean, again, that's what I tell friends and family when they're like, "What makes Greenville so special?" It's like you kind of get the big city amenities of. We do have, on the other end of Main Street, we've got an arena that the minor league hockey team plays here, but yep. we get very high-end concerts here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on everyone's tour dates. Um, we've got the Peace Center, which is Broadway shows and all the top Broadway shows coming in. That's in the center of downtown. And then you've got us at the other end of downtown, and that's all within walking distance. Wow. So you get big city amenities with, the, with sports teams and concerts and Broadway shows and restaurants and bars and Falls Park without the big city hassles of crime and traffic. Like our definition of bad traffic here is I live 14 miles from the ballpark, and on a bad day, it takes me 25 minutes from house to the yeah. ballpark. 
friends that were in Philly who can't go a mile in 45 minutes of traffic. Right, right. Wow. That yeah, it sounds it sounds like it's a happening town. I gotta I gotta yeah, make my I mean, way it's, there. It's really shifted. I mean, it's starting to be on everyone's top ten list for best Main Street in America, best downtown for America, best place to retire, best place to you know work, live, and play, um, most affordable place to live. It's 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 been interesting because it's been a total shift of when the team first came to town when the ballpark was first built it was all green villains it was all people yeah. from the upstate and now we are marketing a lot to travelers i think this mm-hmm. past season just with ways we're able to track through our ticketing system we had 48 of the 50 states we had someone buy a ticket from it okay. was like montana and alaska i think were the two states not oh. represented all right uh, so again it's it it is it's turned in. You would never think when you think South Carolina, you would think Myrtle Beach, Hilton Head, because of the because of the beach and everything. You wouldn't think Greenville, which is in the mountains. But yeah. this has become a top destination for for tourists. We um so in Delmarva, we we're near Ocean City, Maryland, which is a big tourist destination, and we you know, marketed towards them as well. And one thing that we did that you might want to look into, maybe not, um, but we did advertisements on Waze, the GPS app. Oh, nice. uh, okay. Yeah, so for like, I at the time, you know, you could spend $2, as low as $2 a day, and you could stop and start at any time, you know, during your season, all that kind of stuff. And so we did advertisements on there so that, you know, if people are sitting at a light, you know, within X miles of our stadium, that an advertisement would pop up and say like, hey, sh- click here, see the shorebirds schedule, you know. So maybe something you want to look into. Um, but yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, so is in your opinion, is the best concessions item at the stadium the pimento cheeseburger? Yeah, I, I would. Cool. I mean, it, yes, that's that's the best item. We're we're revamping our food and beverage concessions menus this cool. all season too. Um, we tried a lot of new stuff with some of the off season events we had that were really popular. So I know we're going to incorporate um, some of those items. But like, if you if you look, just looked at our previous menus, yeah, like the pimento cheeseburger. Is super popular. Our barbecue is really popular, and then the ice cream at Sweet Caroline's. Okay. It's funny because I'll talk to our our food and beverage director is from Florida. Um, our executive chef is from Honduras, um, and and they're both really good at menu creation. But it's funny each off season they try to convince me that they need we need to have Philly cheesesteaks in the ballpark. And every year I'm like, that's. Uh, I'd be all for it, but like I'm not. You don't want to test them on me. I'm not I was gonna, gonna say, yeah. you're not gonna, you're not gonna come anywhere close to what my standard is. Yeah, yeah. That that is something that I really missed in uh, the Midwest. You know, you could not get a Philly cheesesteak out there. I can get them now that I'm I'm in Delaware. Um, you know, I went to an Eagles bar not too long ago awesome experience um but but yeah i mean people people don't know what a real philly cheesesteak is what, what's your favorite spot in philly yeah i mean between pats and geno's i've always been a pats guy okay and i honestly can't stand geno's and then um 
I'm kind of starting to side with my dad. The best cheesesteak I think I've had, the two best cheesesteaks I've had, though, are from Jim's and D'Alessandro's. Yeah. Are actually the two best in Philly. D'Alessandro's. Everyone goes to Pat's and Gino's because they're the most famous, and everyone knows of those two, but they're yeah. not. They're not. They're good, but they're not the best. D'Alessandro's is where it's at for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny story. Down. I mean, there's a there's a new there's a cheesesteak place that just opened up within walking distance of the ballpark. It's kind of this new. It's part of a new outdoor food uh, food court concept here in Greenville. It's all the restaurants are made out of shipping containers. Oh. And then there's, it, it's a really cool concept. And one of them is a cheesesteak place, and those folks are from Philly. Okay. Uh, it's unbelievable, and their their cheesesteaks are really good. They get the the bread flown in wow. once a week. They're using the Amoroso roll. So yeah, you always tell people that they're like, "Well, what makes the Philly cheesesteak?" It's, it's the bread. It's the it's the bread, and they're like, "How does the bread make the sandwich?" And it's like, "Just trust me on this. It's the bread. If you don't get the bread right, it's not it's not a good cheesesteak." Yeah, yeah, I I definitely agree. My favorite place in my hometown, they make the bread, so it's like a pizza place, and they make the bread out of the same, you know, the pizza dough. So that's oh, that's also really good, too. Um, speaking of Philly, we just finished the regular season of, of the NFL. Eagles have the first round bye in the playoffs with a number one seed. It's got to run through Philly now. Yeah. What what do you think our chances are? How do you think we're going to do in the playoffs? I approach every Philadelphia sports season, especially when the playoffs hit, like cautiously optimistic or cautiously pessimistic. Like, yes, we were Philly fans. Like, we've gone through so much heartbreak over the years that, I mean, hell, I remember a time when the city was so... This has got to be early 2000s. I think I'm still in high school. Or no, it would have been late 90s because I graduated high school in 2000. I just remember the Philly that Philly was so hard up for a celebration of a champion that if Smurry Jones the horse won the Triple Crown, they were going to throw a parade for a horse. <laughs> and I was like, this cannot be my first Philly sports parade experience. It can't be for yeah. a damn horse. Yeah. And, and sorry, Jones didn't win the, didn't win the triple crown, but I mean, there's so much heartbreak. I mean, I vividly remember Joe Carter's home run. Cause I was 12. Um, I mean, we kind of got over the hump in the late with the Phillies, but I've always, I mean, as much as I love baseball, like my core diehard with any of the Philly sports team r- runs through the Eagles first. Yeah. And then the Phillies, and then the Sixers, and honestly, I've never been a hockey guy. So, Me like either. when the, the Flyers were good too, and it's kind of like, oh, really? I don't want them to be my first Philly championship either. Yeah, as bad as that sounds, just because I'm not a hockey guy. Um, but no, it's kind of like you kind of expect heartbreak sure. with Philly sports teams. So, like, it's been an unbelievable season. It's kind of like they're limping into the playoffs. I know Jalen got hurt. And stuff like that, but it's kind of like it's one of those things where I wouldn't be shocked if we won the whole thing, and I wouldn't be shocked if we lose in the the divisional. Yeah, honest with you, because it's just you get so accustomed to it. And you know, I remember seeing a a meme during the World Series of you know when the Phillies lost. It was kind of like the Marvel meme with uh, Thanos, where it was kind of like. 
didn't happen with the with the Eagles being thirteen and zero at the time. And it was like, mm-hmm. what did it cost? Oh, the the Phillies not winning the World Series. Yeah. To me, it's kind of like we sold our souls to get that twenty seventeen Super Bowl. So I don't really anything above and beyond that at this point is gravy in my yeah. My, yeah, I went. I went to the Super Bowl parade that yeah. year. That was. Oh, you're, I was at the game in Minneapolis. I oh wow! To, and that's a that's a crazy story too, of just again like how our owner, how our owner rewards our staff. Like this is like the ultimate reward. But when the Red Sox make the playoffs, our owner is sending staff members up to the playoff games and covering tickets and hotel. Oh man, um, he's a big Michigan State alum. He'll take staff members to Michigan State basketball games. Like he took a group up went during the tip-off classic at Madison Square Garden a few years ago. Jeez. Like he does a lot of stuff like that. So when the Eagles beat the Vikings that year in the NFC Championship, I came into the office that Monday. We're going in through. We're doing some meetings and stuff. And he says, "Hey, congratulations on the Eagles. What an awesome, you know, awesome that they're going to the Super Bowl." And I said. You know, yeah, you know, I'm finally in a place financially where I could potentially go if I can get tickets at face value. Like, I can't pay secondary market for the Super Bowl. Right. I said, if there's anybody you know that's willing to part with tickets, because when the Eagles made the Super Bowl in 07, 08, like, I was just starting, there was no way I was going. Right. Like, if there's any way, like, you know somebody that has access to tickets at face value, like, I'd love to go. And he's like, let me let me put some feelers out there. And let me see what I can do. Twenty four hours later, I get a text from him that says, "Don't go booking a flight. Don't go booking flights yet." But I think I've got you tickets. Wow. Okay. Okay. At this point, I kind of told one of my best friends from home that's still an Eagles Eagles season ticket holder, like, "Hey, if miraculously I get access to two tickets, do you want to go?" He was like, "Yeah, if you know if the price is right." And I was sure. like, yeah, "So I'm trying to figure out." Next day, owner texts me, says, got you two tickets, and they're complimentary. Wow. Tickets are being shipped to the office. Okay. Tickets come. They are <laughs> lower level, second row, no 15-yard line. Ertz's game-winning touchdown is right in front of us. No way. So these tickets come, and I say to him, I tell him, I was like, this is unbelievable. These are comped. And he says, yeah. I said, who do you know that has access to two complimentary Super Bowl tickets that are this good? Because face value on these things is $3,500 apiece. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of nonchalantly says, Adam Silver. <laughs> what? Commissioner of the NBA. So yeah. So when Adam was coming up as a lawyer through Duke Law, one of our owner's other partners was his mentor at Duke Law and is the Uh reason why Adam is the NBA commissioner. So it took two phone calls to get to Adam to get tickets. It's a small world, but boy, that worked out in your favor. And I'm like, not only are we going, these are our tickets and these are pumped. Well, then we come. I come to find out my buddy's wife has family, friends in Minneapolis. So we stay at there. All we paid for was flights. <laughs> wow, that's that's incredible. That man, I could only imagine being in the stadium for that game. Yeah, 
the the parade was enough for me. <laughs> the parade was enough for me, but yeah. boy, I I accidentally drank probably twelve beers during that game because I was so nervous. Yeah. Oh. No, we were. So, I was. I mean, it was. It was eerily silent on that final throw that fell incomplete from Brady to Gronk because it was kind of like okay, no flags, no flags, and then yeah. it was like, oh my god, we actually did it. Wow! But like it was like the it was there was like a three second eerily, eerily silent stadium because no one could process that the Eagles actually won this thing. Yeah, jeez. Oh, that's that's so awesome. Uh, Eric, where can the listeners find you on social media? Yeah, for they are for Twitter and Instagram, it's pretty easy. Both my handles are just Eric, and then the letter S for my middle middle initial, and then Jerinko. So Eric S. Jerinko at both Instagram and and Twitter. Okay, cool. And you are also on LinkedIn too. Yep. So. Yeah, if anybody in the industry wants uh, some some uh, some great advice, you know, reach out. Uh, and then, so I think you've listened to an episode or two. I end with the same question: What's been the best walk up or warm up song you've heard in your baseball career, and whose was it? Yeah, the one that always sticks out to me honestly goes back to our first season in 2006. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't one player. It was our entire bullpen. Okay. So our entire bullpen, every single one of them, they were all huge WWE fans. Mm -hmm. Every pitcher in the bullpen, or, or the majority. So they made the decision that every relief pitcher was going to come out to a different wwe superstars theme song i like it but on top of that they would they would do something at the end of their warm-up pitches like back towards the bullpen that if you weren't looking for like the regular crowd wouldn't see it but if you you knew it was coming it was hilarious to watch throughout the year so like one of the relief pitchers came out to the big show our closer came out to the big show's theme song yeah he would get done his his uh, warm up pitches, and he would turn to the bullpen and do the arm raise <laughs> that the big show would do. And yeah. then one of our other relievers came out to Hulk Hogan's song, and at the end of his warm ups, <laughs> no, he would turn and do this. Oh, okay. Do that to the bull. So not only were they coming out to these guys' walk theme songs, they were then doing something at the end of their warm up pitches back to the. <laughs> it was hilarious that is pretty funny all right you gotta have fun with it i like it all right eric thank you so much for taking the time to come on to the pulling tart podcast really appreciate it it was a great interview and uh wish you the best of luck this season uh keep timmy in line for me and um yeah let's stay in touch man thank you so much absolutely thanks for having me on bobby and we look forward to having you down here in Greenville with you being such good friends with Timmy it's hard to believe you haven't had a chance to come down here yet and visit us but we're looking forward to it yeah thank you thank you
You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Hello, everyone. I'd like to invite you to listen to a new podcast called Artrageous. It's a podcast about the truly outrageous stories of the art and design world. I'm your host, Carrie, and each week we'll cover stories that are just plain crazy. Join me every Thursday for a new episode with stories from art theft, fraud, crime, and mysteries to designer drama, fun conversation tidbits, and discussions about current events. Find Artrageous wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until then, stay Artrageous. At True Crime Cast, we cover the big names and cases that everybody wants to hear. But we specialize in the small town unknown cases you've never heard of. If you're listening to True Crime Cast, you'll hear us give the details of each case and our analysis of whether or not justice is served. Find us wherever you find your favorite podcast. Y'all should go ahead and subscribe and join in on the conversation. I'm Jamie. And I'm John. This is True Crime Cast. 